Hello and welcome to the Tribal Podcast. We believe that true deep learning occurs when three things happen. You must one, understand, two, remember, and three, deliberately practice your newly acquired knowledge. And this podcast covers the first part, understand. Complete this learning by getting the second and third part at mytribal.com. That's M-Y-T-R-I-B-E-L.com. So together, let's get the key takeaways from this book understood. Just Work by Kim Scott is the focus of this episode. And I believe this is the first time we have done an episode with uh, a second book by the same author. I'm trying to think. I don't think I've done another episode with and two books from, from the one author. Anyway, this is uh, Just Work by, by Kim Scott. And it is a tricky subject, I think. She she might disagree, but I, I think it's a, it's a tricky subject to uh, to parse out into individual um, lessons to be learned, if you like, because this whole book is about the idea that it's, it's a um, play on words, I suppose, to Just Work. She, she wants to talk about the the things that happen in the workplace that cause an unjust um, atmosphere for people to do their work in. So whether that's discrimination, bias, um, bullying, um, harassment, whatever, that kind of thing. And what she's doing in this book is, is breaking down where these things can happen, how to identify that they're happening and then how to deal with them. So it's, uh, it's, I'll be honest, I started off reading it, thinking, I don't know if this is going to go well. This sounds like it might just be a, a soapbox that she's getting up on and, um, you know, telling people how it is and how it should be. And it's not at all like that. I was, um, I, ironically, I was quite biased going into the book, which is, you know, a big lesson for anyone to learn when they're, when they're being biased themselves. Uh, I I kind of thought it's too difficult a subject. It's too hazy of a, of a subject to be able to, like I said, parse out into... Um, in the individual strands, if you like, that make up the the rope. I don't know what that analogy is, but I think you know what I mean. That the how how do you talk about bias without getting into a conversation where we're not like imagine this. Imagine where me and you are having a conversation, and rather than actually just I say something, you say something, I say something, you say something, I say something, and then you analyze it and tell me why I'm biased or tell me why I'm prejudiced or so. That that's all. That was my kind of issue going into this book. Is she going to spend the whole time saying you should be analyzing your conversations rather than actually just having a conversation? Like I, I would have thought. Can we not all just have you know? Uh, can we not all just assume the benefit of the doubt for people that they're they're not being um, biased or they don't mean to be uh, racist or they don't mean to be whatever the thing is? Again, yeah, yeah. I I learned some things reading this book about myself, um, and some of them are uncomfortable because you think. There's, I, I would imagine there's very few people who consider themselves biased or prejudiced or racist or, or a bully or that they're discriminating or that they're harassing somebody. Nobody's ever going to go, do you know what, yeah, I am a bully, I would think. Most people don't say that. They just think they're having a laugh or they're, um, you know, Jesus, why are you so sensitive kind of thing. And this is her point in this book is that you can create a much better atmosphere for people who, who may not necessarily feel confident talking up for themselves who may not necessarily, um, 
even sometimes she actually kind of said her few, herself a few times in the book that she there, there's times when she would think back on in her, in her own uh, career. So she she spent her whole career has been I was going to say her whole career it's not her whole career she spent a long time in Silicon Valley and worked for some very big companies and had some very important jobs. But she she talks herself about the younger version of herself where she was being discriminated against and she just kind of laughed it off or just ignored it or thought well I don't really have the power here to um to speak up for myself you know I'm only in the door kind of thing. So her point is that um if there there, there you you could go into a work environment and think well there's everything here is grand every everybody's fine everybody's having a nice time everyone's getting the work done. But you don't actually realize that other people feel discriminated against or feel embarrassed or put down or feel looked over because of their their gender, their uh, sexual orientation, um, the color of their skin, all of these things that um, are very kind of prevalent, I suppose, these days. So her point is to, to be able to f- kind of recognize what could possibly be happening, um, to be aware of your own bias, bi- biases, is that the plural for, for bias not sure um to be aware that somebody might just think they're being hilarious but actually somebody else feels bullied or discriminated against and she talks a lot as well about people you know the the if you if you think of the other side of that coin then it can be sometimes like well you know you're being a bit of a snowflake why don't you just toughen up there a bit and that's that's another thing I thought as well. Is, is do things go too far these days, where you're just analyzing conversations rather than um, having conversations? So I'll admit I went into this book rolling my eyes a little bit, going, "Oh Jesus, here we go!" Right, all about you know my feelings and stuff. But actually, <laughs> by the time I finished, I was like, "Yeah, no, she she has a point, and it can be done. And uh, we can make we can kind of we can level up for everybody. I think, and um, whether it is." um kind of checking your own biases or your own prejudices or um and a lot of the time these things are not I was gonna say they're not your fault but you know whose fault is it then what I mean by it's not your fault is that it's sometimes these things are just baked into how you were raised or you know um you just assume the way it is for you is is the way it is for everybody like she talks about colleagues of hers who are black who get pulled over by police who are terrified because police make a, a, a different assumption about a black person than they do about a white person about what they're up to why they ran the red light that kind of thing i've never been actually i have been pulled over by the police but i didn't fear for my life i didn't i probably was wrong there was one time i, I went through a junction and i definitely shouldn't have um caused all sorts of havoc it didn't cause a crash but i just blocked a lot of traffic and there was a police car right behind me and it was it was ridiculous what i did anyway it didn't, yes. Anyway, but the the point is that um, the way it is for one person is not necessarily how it is for everybody else. So, a uh, very very useful book, um, even just to help you audit how you're um going out into the world or the 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 energy that you're putting out into the world or the words that you're using, the um the jokes that you're making. There's one part actually at the end of the book which I thought was kind of mad that she even had to say it, but um, there's a there's a whole chapter towards the end of the book about touching people, like don't touch people. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's mad that in in twenty twenty two that people have to be told don't touch people. That if so, 
like her point is if you if you're not sure if somebody wants to be touched don't touch them if uh if you've if there's any sort of hesitation don't touch them i i, I don't know i just think it's mad that it has to be said don't touch people and she tells stories thing again this is because people don't i'm a i'm a bloke right with a big hairy face and um i'm not small and people don't touch me right i don't i don't feel intimidated if people touch me but if i'm uh you know a, a woman or if i'm say kim scott like she was talking about where she was she was given a she was on a panel i think or something i can't remember exactly now she was on a panel i think at a conference and the guy there was her and two fellas two men and they were welcomed up onto the stage and the guy who was hosting the panel, I could have this totally wrong about the situation, but this did happen where he shook hands with the two fellas who came on stage. And then when she came on, he did this big ridiculous curtsy and kissed her hand. And she's like, what the, f- what are you doing? Like that's, she just felt so kind of um, alienated or kind of whatever. And then when she said it to him afterwards, he kind of put on this kind of mock embarrassment, like, oh, like, don't tell me you want me to treat you like a man. She's like, yeah, that's exactly what I want. Just treat me as an equal. Like, what are you doing? Those kind of things, I don't know. I, I, again, this, I went into this book thinking, sure, those things don't happen because they don't happen to me, which is like a bias that I have, which is totally turning my head upside down now. But like, that's, I don't know. I just, I, it was, it was a, it was eye opening for me, I think, to, uh, to go into this book with these assumptions about how the world is and then you realize actually these things still do happen to women like women are you know have to be they really do have to fight for for you know to be taken seriously sometimes which is mad like it's i don't know it's it's, it is how it is i suppose but anyway let's get back to the start of the book so the book is broken into uh three parts and part one is the root causes of workplace injustice part two then is discrimination harassment and physical violations and part three then is systemic justice and injustice so the first part she breaks it down quite well i think about the the roles and responsibilities as she calls them for any sort of interaction in work um whether it's during like a team meeting or one-on-one or whatever and she says essentially there's four kind of headings or four kind of um roles that that are involved one is the person harmed right so the person who has something done to them something said to them um ostracized discriminated against whatever right so the person who's harmed and then there's an upstander so i guess that's kind of a play on bystander rather than just watching something happen an upstander is somebody who goes yeah hang on now just you know that's the, the person who intervenes who stands up for the person who was harmed um possibly because the person who is harmed doesn't feel they have the power to do it it's because of the dynamic in the room or um whatever right that they they kind of laugh something off that really you know shouldn't be laughed off that kind of thing so you've got your person harmed the upstander uh, the person causing harm that's the you know the one who who did the thing and then the last one then is the leader the person who is in charge or the most senior person in the room or whatever so um for kind of again all of these things I've said it, I got interviewed on the podcast the other day and I said the same thing that when we're when we're talking about these these scenario these um knowledge um nuggets if you like whatever you want to call them these key takeaways from the books we teach them kind of parsed out as in we split them out into individual components almost like a column each kind of thing but in reality they all kind of wash over each other and they all kind of mesh together and you can kind of switch from one to the other a lot so 
the, like a, anything that has to be taught to somebody, especially with these kind of soft skills or behavioral skills, they do need to be broken down into their constituent parts. But then in reality, you put them all back together like like Lego or a jigsaw or something. And, um, you know, you, you try and make sense of it in the real world. So the first thing, these um, roles and responsibilities, I think she's done a great job there. Um, not that she needs to hear from me, but I think it's 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 it kind of splits out the the dynamic in a room pretty pretty well i think a uh, person harmed the upstander the person causing harm and the leader so then what she does is she goes into um scenarios then and she tells a lot of stories from her own life and what's interesting is how open and honest she is about the, the story she tells about where she was both the person causing harm and the person harmed um the person being the bully the person being bullied uh situations where she should have stood up for herself and she just she didn't and she's kind of you know kicking herself a bit or you know finding ways to forgive herself for not standing up for herself that kind of thing um so the fact that she's kind of written all this down in a book and kind of put some really good lessons around it was um it's great to read so what she does here is i'll, I'll go through like the 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 four roles and responsibilities and what she says you should think if you are that person how you should handle it if you're that person and then really the second and the third part of the book are kind of just, how would, you say, how would I say it? It's, they're not, I was going to say it's rehashed. It's not rehashed. It's like different scenarios where they might actually occur, right? So like say the third part is systemic justice and injustice. It's the same kind of thing. It's, um, it's the same kind of thing. It's the same kind of ideas of what leaders should do, how they should handle a situation, that kind of thing. Anyway. First thing is for people harmed, right? So the the person who is um, who feels like feels like something has been done to them. The first thing she says is that interactions are complex, and never has a true word been spoken or written. I think that interactions are complex. Com- communication is difficult, right? It's a great, famous George Bernard Shaw quote that the the problem with communication is the uh, illusion that it actually happened, right? I'm probably paraphrasing that a bit there, but the problem with communication is that you think you communicated something somebody else takes it up completely differently um, and that's that's where the complexity lies um language is is difficult tone you know setting um unwritten rules all that kind of thing it all kind of adds into to how communication actually happens but one thing i did read before actually about communication is that just because i meant it one way and you received it another way who's right or who who has like the who gets to decide what was communicated, me or you? If I if I tell you I need a report on my desk ASAP, and to me that means by four o'clock today, to you it means you know by the end of the week. Who's right there? Right? Who who actually gets to decide what was communicated? And the answer is it's the person receiving the communication. How how it was interpreted is what was communicated. So if I want to report to my desk by four p.m., I should say four p.m. today, right? Not ASAP. So that's again, right? So off the point completely of, of what she's talking about in this book, the different ty- types of um, communications. But like communication is is complex. I think we can probably all agree with that. So she says interactions are complex. Does the person have bias? Do they mean it? Is it a power play? Um, you know, there's di- and, and depending on, on, on what ha- has happened or what has occurred, it will determine, or what your, what your answer to those questions are really, that'll determine how you should handle it. So at the very start of the book, actually, I should go back and say that, that there are the workplace injustices uh, is, is six different problems that basically 
kind of come together. And the six different problems are bias, prejudice, bullying, discrimination, verbal harassment, and physical violations. That's the don't touch people one, right? Um, so physical violations. She tells a story about um, when she was um, a keynote speaker for a yeah, some conference somewhere. And she was about three or four minutes before she was going on stage. And if you've ever done something that, you know, you usually spend those few minutes um, composing yourself and kind of, you know, visualizing all, all the different things that are going to happen, things you'll say. And it's kind of getting into the zone, I suppose. And she was kind of doing that at the side of the stage. And some guy ran up to her with a, um, a button missing from his shirt and started kind of, you know, real harassingly kind of saying, I need a safety pin. I need a, can you get me a safety pin for my for my shirt like I'm, I'm due on stage and my, my shirt has burst open this big fat belly had kind of burst out of shirt and she she would think was just kind of stunned into science goes does he think I work here because I'm a woman does he think I work here because of some other reason is he just assuming because I'm a woman I'll help him and she kind of had all these kind of different things raced to her head and I think in the end she just kind of didn't really say anything to him and he kind of went running off somewhere else but she made the point afterwards that the people that did work at the conference were wearing bright yellow t-shirts so that they would not be um you know, it wouldn't be misunderstood who worked there and who didn't. Like any of those conferences, you know, the, there's a uniform that the that the people working there wear. So that kind of that was like the start of the book. On is that guy prejudiced? Is he is he biased? Is he like an alpha male bully kind of fella? And she, she never really got a, a proper answer. I don't think because she never saw him again. But it was an interesting way to open up that idea that interactions are complex and who is this person? Why does he assume I work here? And um, how should I handle the situation? So she talks then about how to how to recognize bias, and you know, if let's say that guy was biased um, towards her because she was a woman, or um, uh, because of I don't know where she was standing or how she looked or something. She talks about then how to recognize bias, um, and it's essentially just making assumptions. She does, and one of the things I thought about when she she said about making assumptions was the Daniel Kahneman book uh, Thinking Fast and Slow and in that book Thinking Fast and Slow just to get off the topic for a second he talks about the two different systems that are in our brains um, system one is uh, fast I think and system two is slow thinking so system one is like if you're walking through the forest and you see a stick for a split second you think it's a, a snake right I think that's one of the examples it gives in the book that isn't rational thought that's just like an instinct and assumption that you made to keep yourself safe obviously probably isn't a snake depending on where you're living but like that you're that kind of reptilian brain kind of kicks in to keep you safe but then the system two is where you think kind of slower and um, use rational thought so that was what i thought about when she said you know people just a bias is essentially making an assumption because i thought well that is how the human brain is set up you can't tell people not to make assumptions that's how we function in the world. If we had to, if we had to uh, figure out every single door we've ever walked through, how you know we'd never get anything done in the world. When you approach a door you've never seen before, you make an assumption about how the door is going to work. You pull the handle down, you push your pull, um, and you go through the door. Right? That's it's an assumption, and it's the same thing when you um, you meet people. You 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 can't help but make assumptions. And she obviously references that. She references that book thinking fast and slow but then she says well if you're making assumptions about somebody's role or their tasks or their expertise their skills or even their pronouns or um, even anything to do with that, those kinds of things 
you're doing that person a disservice, really. And it's very true. It's one thing to think about assuming how a door works, but it's another thing to assume somebody's skill set because of the color of their skin or because of their, uh, I don't know, their, their, their ability to speak the same language as you, right? That those, those recognizing those biases in yourself is, is, uh, is very important because the chances are, if you've made that assumption about somebody, other people have too. So this is what they mean when they talk about uh, recognizing your bias, that it's, um, if you're making an assumption about somebody based on, on things you've, based on what you're seeing or something i don't know what what you like those things i talk about the, the roles tasks expertise skills pronouns based on on what they look like then that's something you need to kind of hit the hit the brakes and go actually i don't i don't really know um what this person's skill is let them prove let them let them uh dissuade you of your biases i suppose um and before you you, you make a make a decision on who they are or what they are and she talks a lot about one of the things that I am definitely guilty of is um, calling women girls. And I've heard lots of women call themselves girls as well and going out with the girls tonight. Whereas, although men do say I'm going out with the boys tonight, I don't, I don't really say that, but the lads maybe. But generally, men will talk about men and girls rather than men and women. It's um, It could be just... I don't want to make excuses for it because Kim Scott says not to make excuses for it. But I understand that like it's it's very prevalent in Irish society to talk about the girls um when you know actually mean women. So it's something I was always aware of, but never corrected myself on because I don't know why. I just I just didn't. But I will now. So that's uh, about all I can say about that. So if she says um if you're responding to bias you should use I statements. And I'll just actually I'll read out an example from the book here because it's a good one. It says um, incorrect role assumption. So somebody makes an assumption and um, says you, a woman, are negotiating a deal with Wilson and you have brought along your summer intern, Jack, to take notes. But Wilson directs his comments to Jack. And she says then what you might be thinking, you're assuming Jack is the boss because he's a dick. Typical. The I statement you should use is Wilson, I'm the person you're negotiating with. This is Jack, my summer intern. So, or another one, um, another good one here. It says, incorrect task assumptions. You get asked to take notes in every meeting. And what you might be thinking, because I'm a woman, you assholes always make me take notes. The I statement is, I can't contribute substantive, I can't say it, substantively to the conversation if I always have to take notes. Can someone else take the notes this week? So sometimes it can be enough to to call out the bias. Someone goes, oh, sorry, didn't, yeah, I didn't mean that at all. That's not... But if you if you have the um the wherewithal to point out the statement, you can kind of pull somebody out of their bias, or at least kind of you know confront them with the mirror of uh, um you know what you're doing isn't right here. So then she talks about it, so we're still talking about the person that's harmed here, and she says um if you're responding to a a prejudice statement, uh, you should use it statements in response because when somebody's being prejudiced or you believe they're being prejudiced people really believe what they're saying. So I think there's a story she tells in the book about a guy she works with who believes that uh, women are better off in the home, which is like, I don't know, very 1950s. Um, mad again that there's people out there who think these things, but it, it sh- so his point is that, well, I've read all these studies about, um, you know, children are better off when their mother stays at home, blah, 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 blah. 
And her point is to use an it statement. And it statement is it's disrespectful to say that I'm not looking after my kids right because I'm a work I'm I'm a working mother, that kind of thing. Um or it's disrespectful to call a grown woman a girl. I think that that would one hundred percent I would be uh totally on board. If some if I called a woman a girl and somebody said it's disrespectful to call a woman a girl, I go, Yeah, that's yep, you are one hundred percent right. I will own that one. Um so it statements is how you respond to prejudice. And then she talks about how to respond to bullying, that you should use you statements. And she tells a great story about one of her kids who was having a hard time with um uh I think the kid was maybe like 10 or 11 or 12, something like that. And they were having a, an issue with somebody who was giving them a hard time in school. And I think the kid kept kind of shoving their, their lunch tray off the table or something. And the mother, Kim Scott here, said, uh, you know, why don't you tell this person how much they're hurting your feelings when you do that? And the kid was rolling their eyes going, gee, that's the whole point, is that they're trying to hurt my feelings. That's that's giving them a, that's like giving them a gold medal. Well done. You, you, you achieved what you wanted to achieve. And it's so true that we like bullies don't respond well to you know you you hurt my feelings and you're like oh yeah that was the point that's what they wanted to do, so you respond to bullying uh, using you statements, so you need to stop doing that to me you need to stop talking to me in that way, uh, what's going on for you here right those kinds of things is where you kind of put it back on the bully and and don't acknowledge that your your feelings are hurt or that you've been um, upset in some way, but you point point out to them in a very direct way going this isn't okay what you're doing here um that you know tell them that they hurt you is, is pointless that's what they're trying to do so and then she talks about um rationalization for silence if you are the person hurt and this is a big one as well is that uh if so like and these, these are kind of lessons that she learned i think over the years when she was silent when when she was being bullied or um discriminated against in some way some of the rationalize, rationalizations that she has for silence are things like it's no big deal, uh, I don't like confrontation, they didn't mean any harm, uh, I don't want to hurt working relationships, uh, it'll make things worse, I'll risk my reputation. All those kinds of things are, are things that people say to themselves so that they don't um, rock the boat too much. But her point is that that's, that's, that's not okay. Or it's not okay if you are in a in a position where you, you should say something, you could say something, uh, then you should. You shouldn't use those as excuses, I think. So then she talks about observers next. These are the, the, the upstanders. So the people who are watching this bias or prejudice or bullying behavior uh, is to be an upstander, which, you know, she's, she talks about. Um, sometimes it can be enough to use those, those it, you and I statements uh, on behalf of somebody else it's almost like being an advocate for somebody like if somebody's an intern and they're getting a hard time from somebody uh, who's senior to them it's all well and good saying well you should just stand up to him they're like well I can't I'm only in the door I'm, I'm you know 23 years old he's 47 you know he's the boss or whatever I don't know how to handle the emotional um, toolkit to handle this or whatever as an observer, as an upstander, you need to advocate for that person or kind of, you know, get stuck in there and um, call out the, the bullshit behavior, basically. But she also talks about um, being being aware of a hero complex, which is, again, another thing I thought about that before I, I kind of get into the book properly going, you know, there's a lot of people who just love to grandstand and get on their soapbox and tell everyone else 
um, what they should and shouldn't say and all. And I thought, I thought, I'll be honest, I thought this is what the book was going to be about and I was totally wrong. So she talks about um, moral grandstanding or um, she actually says that phrase to get off your soapbox. Shaming people will not work. We will not take moral lessons from someone who thinks that they have the moral high ground. And it's so true. If if somebody starts starts in on me about, you know, how I'm behaving or what I'm saying, or what I'm doing, and they're doing it with that kind of holier than thou attitude, it's just it's not it's not gonna go well for the person, right? If if somebody is has that is, ta- is trying to take the moral high ground over something, then it just doesn't go well. So she said to be aware of the hero complex. So if you're going to be an upstander, be aware of trying not to um, insert yourself in the middle of the of the whole thing. And she talks then as well about um, the she calls it the Incredible Hulk, which is basically just losing your shit with somebody right on behalf of somebody else. That probably won't work either. It'll release the pressure valve, and it might feel good to kind of roar at somebody who, in your mind, deserves it, but it's not going to actually solve the problem. Also, don't be a knight in shining armor. So she gives the example of white people speaking on behalf of black people. Maybe you should just listen instead rather than trying to solve all their problems for them. Um, again, it's a it's a it's a fine line between standing up for somebody and then speaking on behalf of somebody uh, that you know knight in shining armor kind of thing. And then she talks about the opportunistic hypocrite. Right, they're not really interested in helping; they just want to grandstand. She tells a story about a guy, some academic who. Um, threatened to write a an article about some company she was working for and how badly they treated you know some particular minority, and um, the way to get him to not write the article was to make a donation to his uh, to his charity, and they were just gobsmacked by this guy who's shouldn't name him, but she said he's very well known, and um, yeah, I think maybe you would know him if she said his name, but uh, that kind of uh, opportunistic hypocrite or somebody's just trying to hustle and make some money. And then the final one, she says, for that particular one as, as being an upstander is bad faith communication. And uh, all you need to do is just think about the online conversations where, you know, where somebody says, I like, uh, I like bread. <laughs> somebody says, oh, well, what about crackers? Have you a problem with crackers? <laughs> These kind of mad conversations where there's just bad faith communication um, and it's people just kind of talking past each other the whole time. So and be aware of that as well, kind of give the benefit of the doubt, I suppose. So then she talks then about the um, the people who cause harm, uh, the people who are uh, on the receiving end of, of an accusation of bullying or harassment or discrimination or prejudice or bias or physical violations um, or verbal harassment. The first thing she talks about is Carol Dweck, who wrote a book called Growth Mindset. Um, so it's growth mindset as opposed to a fixed mindset. And the growth mindset basically means that you're you're open to learning, you're open to developing, you're open to um, taking the feedback on board and really seeing feedback as a gift rather than you know uh, a weapon um, to be used against you. So very important to keep that in mind that if you are accused of something, it's very very difficult to hear that sometimes. That especially if you don't think you're biased or you don't think you're prejudiced or you don't think you're a bully, and somebody calls you out on it your first thing is for the, the shields to go up for your defenses to just to, to kick in and go that just deny it. Uh, so she tells a story about a guy who, um, who had somebody on his team who identified as, um, she, her, and this guy, a, uh, a, sorry, Avery was the name of the, the, the woman and the guy whose name I can't remember kept calling her, 
he, him. And Avery had to keep pointing out that, you know, I'm, I'm actually female. And he totally took it on board and said, you know what, it's ridiculous that you have to keep reminding me. I'm trying to remember and I just you know, keep forgetting. So he said it to the rest of the team, will you all pull me up on it when you hear me doing it so that Avery doesn't have to keep doing it. So he got everyone on the team to kind of like just pull me up on it and, I, and I'm willing to learn and I'm willing to, to, to grow. Another thing as well about um, people who cause harm, sometimes you might think, well, I only said something small. I, I, it was only like a, a passing comment or, you know, to your mind, it wasn't a big deal. But she says, and this is an important point, that your comment or your action, even if it was small, that could have been the straw that broke the camel's back. So you have to be aware of, you know, where you are in that chain of, of that person's experience who has been harmed. So if you're pulled up on something, it, it could be that in isolation, that one particular comment or action was small. It was, you know, to somebody else that mightn't have been a big deal, but also you have to look at it in context for the person who feels harmed. Um, she says as well about managing your defenses, right? It's easy to be defensive, so just be aware. Uh, I... I, I definitely have, I've, I think I've gotten better taking feedback over the years where you kind of have to brace yourself for it a bit and kind of just um, just accept it sometimes that it's, it's going to hurt. It's like whipping off a, a plaster or a band-aid, as the Americans would call it. Uh, it's, it hurts, but, you know, in the long run, it's, you're better off. Another thing that people can do when they um, are the ones who cause harm is to uh, acknowledge the mistake, apologize, make amends, um and it can sound a bit conceited sometimes going, I'm willing to be better, I'm willing to learn. But actually, in reality, it's good if you are willing to learn. It is if you are willing to kind of, you know, tell me more about it. As long as the other person isn't grandstanding, as long as the other person isn't um, having bad faith, faith communications. Oh, very tricky, very tricky, all this stuff. Um, but I think all you can really do is... is look at the input metrics like what am I actually putting into this meeting what am I um how am I approaching this particular situation so and then she talks about correcting the bias or correcting the the prejudice and kind of you know be willing to learn like I said and uh one of the ways that she talks about just the last point on this for the people who cause harm is to be aware of stereotyping like um again it's a very easy assumption to make that all men are whatever or all women are whatever it's a uh, it's it's an easy one to fall into it's like these sweeping generalizations that that uh, we're all guilty of i think at some point like, I, I just made them there saying we're all guilty of it. <laughs> i don't know overall maybe you're you specifically are not guilty of ever making a sweeping generalization what do i know all i can talk about is myself i'm definitely more aware of those things these days of saying like john actually there was a there's a comedian for an Irish comedian called Dara O'Brien. And um, he had this great bit years ago. I remember seeing him live and he talked about um, this kind of idea of stereotyping like that, you know, the Irish are great crack, you know, they're great fun. Um, and he's, he said, most of the time, we have no idea where these stereotypes come from. And it's true, right? You just kind of decide that everyone from this particular country is a particular way. So he made a few up and he got people in the audience, name name a country and people like, you know, Argentina, and name name a characteristic and someone's there like ambition goes yeah that's it argentinians very ambitious <laughs> he said in years to come somebody will say something about argentina and you go yeah they're very ambitious people over there 
So now I put that into your head. I always thought that was really funny like that. You just kept naming random countries and, and random characteristics and pairing them together. And then three or four years time to something on the news about Argentina. Goes, oh, yeah, very ambitious people over there. <laughs> anyway, um, stereotyping, who knows where it comes from? But most of the time it's nonsense. So um, the sweeping generalizations are never true uh, in general. And the last bit then is... Um, uh, for leaders, right? So, so what can a leader do to, to ensure proper governance in a company, in an organization, that these, these problems that, that stop work, just work from happening, um, what can they put in place? What kind of um, policies and procedures can they put in place? Now, in this section of the book, she talks a bit about as well, um, you can't legislate for absolutely everything. Like there has to be a certain amount of common sense, but where that line is between common sense and we need a policy for this is, is going to be, I think it's going to be, be different for everyone. It's going to change on a really a person to person basis, not even organization to organization basis. But what she talks about then is, is having things like a code of conduct with a fair process in it. So a code of conduct can't be like the, the Apple terms and conditions where it's 56 pages long and, and nobody has ever read it. The code of conduct has to be has to be easily understood by everyone that this is this is what's acceptable, this isn't acceptable. Um, and then also the other side of that coin, if you like, is a fair process where if somebody does breach something in the code of conduct that you have a fair process in place that somebody isn't fired just because they had a, a tweet 10 years ago that was a bit off color or something that there's a fair process in place and she talks in the book as well about that particular point that if you have if it's if it's in your code of conduct that you can be fired if you tweet something like this or if you put something like this on facebook you have to make people aware of that but if they did that 10 years ago then i mean do we still like what kind of apology is going to be enough for somebody to 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 um to reclaim their um moral standing if you like so she talks anyway about having a code of conduct with a with a fair process in place enforce consequences for bullying so that people have to know that there is a a, a real consequence in place for bullying and uh, stop bloviating right so leaders love to talk nonsense and say lots of buzzwords and then leave the meeting but you have to just stop that kind of um uh you know just saying words for the sake of saying words and finally, then she talks about uh, checks and balances, so that everyone is kind of held to account, or held, so held to account, held to the same standards. So, for example, and this is one I've seen before, is that nobody, including the CEO, can hire, fire, promote, or pay someone without oversight, which is brilliant. Like that, nobody, nobody can, nobody has the power to fire one individual; it has to go to a committee. It's the same thing. You see it a lot in the in the big tech companies these days that um, I've worked for previously. That uh, it's a you know five round interview process, and once you know it's five rounds, you don't mind. Like, but those five rounds would be like your direct manager, your teammates, your manager's manager, uh, somebody outside the team who who's like adjacent to you maybe, and and you have that kind of three sixty view, and they all have to agree. And actually, I remember reading before in in one of the books on Amazon that they do the same thing, this, uh, there was a name for it, and it's in that, Working Backwards is the podcast, it's the name of the book, and it's the, the podcast, I think it's in that one, where they talk about, when when there's an, an interview committee put together, everybody has to write their notes, before they're allowed to talk about the candidate, 
So if I interview you and then my colleague interviews you, we both have to write our notes about how what we think of you as and how you'll fit in before we're allowed to compare notes that we're not influencing each other's um, um, comments or thoughts about this individual. So I think that's a good one as well. So having these kinds of checks and balances that um, everybody from the CEO down follows, that a uh, CEO has to lead by example. It's, it's kind of like any good leader will lead by example they have to make sure that there is um you know if you say work finishes at 5 p.m then as the leader you have to finish work at 5 p.m there's no point saying everyone should go home at five and you're still there at eight uh you know you have to lead by example and it's the same thing here as well as that they she says a ceo or that the leaders need to lay down their power is to admit to their own mistakes and it comes back to i think our most recent podcast the the five dysfunctions of a team there has to be trust there has to be trust in a team that it's okay to make mistakes we're all human uh you know you're not going to get fired just for making a mistake you know these are the things that matter in a business is is really about bringing your whole self to work and i think kim scott's done a great job with this book um it's it's changed my mind about about some of these topics and um how i approach them so i'm i'm grateful for the book i'm grateful for uh getting a chance to read it and get to, to speak to all of you lovely people about it so okay and that's it i will talk to you all again soon tell two people that you don't know about mytribal.com that's m-y-t-r-i-b-e-l.com all right onwards hey before you go just a quick message about tribal and what we're all about we believe that true learning happens when you understand remember and deliberately practice your newly acquired knowledge. And this podcast just covered the first part. You now understand the key takeaways from this book. To help you remember them, we will send you three interactive summaries that accompany this episode to empower you to remember those key takeaways at the moment of truth. And then to really embed the knowledge from this episode, you can use the dedicated digital action log to set a time and a date to go out into the big bad world and deliberately practice the key takeaways. For all of this, and for all of our podcast episodes, head over to mytribal.com. Until next time.